Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this <laughs> is Pod Have Mercy. Yes. So speaking of, I was telling you about this, the book I'm reading by Barbara Brown Taylor. She talks about <laughs> Jesus. She says the two most famous paintings of Jesus, if you think about it, he's wearing no clothes, like when he's born and when he's on the cross. Right. He just has a little like loincloth. Yeah, yeah. And she was talking about how those pictures, it's like so much skin, which is like flesh. Flesh. Right. Because yeah, God yeah. came in yeah. the flesh. And, but the funny thing, she was in a church, I think in Alabama, and there was a lady on the altar guild cleaning the silver, and she was looking at the Tiffany glass window, and, and Jesus was hanging there, and she said to the lady, she goes, he has no hair. And the lady went, excuse me? He has no hair. She goes, he has hair. He has hair on his head. And she goes, no, look at his underarms. They look like a six-year-old boy. <laughs> he says, look at his chest. He has no hair. She goes, I can't believe you're saying that to me. <laughs> Not my savior. <laughs> and her whole or her whole point was like we don't talk about yeah, like the yeah. flesh and yet flesh. that's what faith is all about yeah, that's what that's jesus good. is all about coming in the flesh i just thought it was interesting that's it has great. nothing to do with the podcast today <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything today other than i thought it was a great cute story but um today we have my friend matt miofsky do you know matt i met matt through a tmf gathering and oh, i've yeah. kind of followed him a couple of years uh, i like him a lot he's the smart dude yeah. great dude talented dude he planted this church, The Gathering, in St. Louis, Missouri, like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it has been, I don't know how many years, but they, they keep this list of what they call the fastest growing United Methodist churches. And he's been on this list for like Ever. 10 years. And, and what's interesting, ironically, about that is you have a certain segment of people who will tell you that if you are a church that is more inclusive mm-hmm. of people, say, for example, around human sexuality, that those churches just die because they're not orthodox, they're not evangelical, whatever. Right. And Miofsky's church in the gathering shows a church that's deeply scriptural, kind of like Chapwood, deeply yep. evangelical, yep. like Chapwood, missional. and yet as and missional and serious about these things, serious about the Loves kingdom Jesus. of Jesus, <laughs> and yet is a very inclusive church. Right. And um, and that's, that's, I think, every church ought to be a church that you really are fired up about want to go to because you're yeah. excited to be there yeah. and yet has women in leadership and has, you know, is open door and is inclusive to right. people that may not look like you or right. like me, may have right. the same skin color, or maybe think the same way or maybe vote the same way. Right, right, right. And they're working their stuff, that stuff out yeah. in community and relationship, which I think is hugely important. So. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah. Doing overall, doing really well. Yeah, just uh, you know, getting back started. We're quite a bit behind where you all are in terms of in person, but you know, worship. But that's feeling really good, and my family's well, so I can't complain too much. Things are okay. So yeah. I just watched the bumper. How are you? On, uh, great. I was on the way over here. I was watching the bumper. I was showing one of our other yeah. pastors, uh, Christian Washington, who's in our Upper Rim community. We were watching your um, the vulnerability. Uh-huh. Is that the one you're doing now on vulnerability? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Talk it to me. Is. Talk to me about vulnerability. <laughs> well, the series is, uh, it's basically a series about sin, but we were trying to figure out like, how do we, how do we talk to people about a topic that they don't want to really hear much about, you know, this yeah. idea of original sin and confession and repentance and, 
being honest with other people about your, you know, and I thought, you know, really, this is like this whole idea of vulnerability is really popular. This idea of being, you know, not only showing your strength, but showing your sin and struggles. So the, the series itself is actually a lot about sin and kind of our understanding of sin and what we do with it in our lives. But the but I'm using the language of vulnerability to kind of get at that in a way that folks can hear a little bit differently. So I'm I'm saying sin a lot, but the setup is like we're doing this. This is really about vulnerability. It's about being more open about the part of us that's not perfect, and that's really what uh, that's what sin is meant to be about. I mean, mm. this isn't yeah. So that's really what the series is about. It's it's actually gone really well. People have. Um, in, you know, invited a lot of folks to a series about sin because it's a series about vulnerability. Bring your friends. <laughs> We're going to talk about sin next week. Yeah, you might actually right. get you might actually get a yeah. lot of interesting people show up if you're going to talk about sin. Yeah. Bring your favorite sinner with right. you. So, yeah. well, Matt, um, right. you know, you know, I've so talked a, a little bit on the on email and everything. One of the things that's fascinating to me is the story mm-hmm. of of the church that you serve and. And that you helped, I mean, you started the church, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Start the church, plant the church? I did, yeah. I started it. It'll be 15 years this September. Yeah. That's amazing to me. Anybody who can plant a church, like, I have mad respect for you. But the, so <laughs> it's the gathering in St. Louis. Tell, uh, tell us a little bit about the church. One of the things you and I that I've always found fascinating is that there's this. Uh, talking point that a certain group of Methodists or Christians have that if you're a church that's inclusive of people who you may not approve of, whether it be LGBTQ or whomever else, that uh, any church that becomes more inclusive of those folks, all of those churches decline and die. They're not evangelistic. They're not they orthodox. They're not evangelical. <laughs> they don't love, Je- you know, all this kind of stuff. And the the one of the things I think is really unique about your story is how the gathering has been one of the fastest growing churches, very uh, much focused on evangelism and yet very inclusive. So tell us the story about birth in the church and kind of the evolution of mm. all of that. I think that's fascinating. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking about it. So I went to college straight through to seminary, graduated, and came back to St. Louis and served as a associate pastor for four years and. You know, during that time, I noticed a lot of things. I, I was a I was 24 years old when I was appointed to my first church out of seminary. So I was thinking a lot about people my age and why they weren't in church. I was thinking a lot about St. Louis, which is an old city. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not near as large as it used to be. So it's unique in that it's a city in decline and has been in decline for 60 years. But it's not like Houston. It's not like Austin. It's not like Dallas or Nashville or any other place. And so new things hadn't happened here in a long time. It's also a, uh, it's a really diverse city. And, and so I, I did a lot of thinking kind of early on, like what would a church look like that was really built for the city we are today and not mm. the city we were a hundred years ago? Cause every church in the city was kind of, uh, built or started during the city's cycle of growth and not during its in some ways of decline or of change and transformation. Mm. So that's really kind of what was going on in the city. I was 24. I was looking around and essentially I wanted to 
start a church that I thought I could invite my friends to. I wanted to start a church where um, you didn't have to check your brain at the door. If you showed up, that questions were not seen as uh, problematic, where um, and, and then maybe most of all, John, to get at your directly at your question, what I saw in the landscape at the time were basically two kinds of churches. And this hasn't changed hmm. actually near as much as I thought it might. It, it, but th- there were either these compelling churches that were doing worship in a different way that had vibrant small groups or kids ministry. It was the kind of church you wanted to go to if you're, if you're a young person. But they had pretty conservative theology, and not just theology, but pretty conservative views on some social issues, women in leadership, uh, LGBTQ folks, and and what ministry with them should look like. So you had to make the decision, like, do I go to the church that I really want to go to, even if some of the stuff they believe doesn't really line up with where I am or what I want my kids to grow up with? Or on the flip side, there were churches that had a more open theology. Maybe they welcomed women into leadership or they... That they were doing ministry in a more open way with LGBTQ people, but they were just kind of in decline. And worship was boring. They were conservative when it came to kind of how they did things, how they worshiped. <laughs> uh, small groups weren't vibrant. Kids ministry wasn't vibrant. And we kind of came into that and thought, like, wh- first of all, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why are these two things so mutually exclusive all the mm-hmm. time? What if we started a church that was unapologetically evangelical. I, mean, I don't mean that in kind of the political sense that yeah. it comes with that now, but kind of in the, the most basic sense, a church that just deeply believes that this matters, it can change your life, and we share it with a lot of people. So we want to be a highly invitational place. We want to be a place that that talks about Jesus, that talks about the importance of Scripture, that huh. encourages people to make a decision to commit their life to Christ. Some of these things that you know, we sort of associate with evangelical churches, like we want to be that. And we want to do that um, with a theology that that we think is more faithful to scripture and more relevant in the 21st century. One that um, I th- I'd say its basis isn't, isn't so opposed to thinking through uh, some of these questions mm. in new ways that, that isn't so scared of nuance and that is more welcoming, especially to people who have traditionally um, not been welcomed. And at least in American evangelical churches, two big groups are women in, in various forms of leadership and LGBTQ people. So we just started the church with, with this kind of both-and approach. We're going to be very evangelical in the way that I described. And we want to be the kind of church that uh, welcomes LGBTQ people into all levels of participation and leadership. And uh, we we want to kind of push back against some of those uh, some of those traditions that that exclude different people from participation. So I, that that's a little bit of a long answer to your question, but that's kind of how it got started. And I would just say that I've been surprised actually. So it worked. I mean, there were a lot of people. I think our hunch was right. <laughs> So people will ask me all the time, what do you think has led to your growth? Well, this is, I mean, I think this is one big reason is, you know, so many people have said, oh, finally, Mm. there's a church that believes all the stuff that I want a church to believe in. And it's, it's a place that I can invite, you know, my, my gay friend or that I don't have to teach my daughter 
something, you know, I don't have to go home after worship and tell my daughter, don't listen to them when it comes to gender roles or, or you know, what women can and can't do. Like, I don't have to undo the teachings at home that the church is teaching. And so it's been really incredible. And what I've been surprised by is that more churches haven't figured this out. So even 15 years later, I go into a lot of cities and this is still the dynamic. Yeah. So in so many places that you have this choice you have to make between a theology that might align a little bit better with where you, you are or a church that's vibrant and vital and evangelical and, and uh, fun to go to. And, and we think those things should go hand in hand. So in many ways, the churches have played into the, the narrative that some sides of the extreme create. It's like we, it, it, you live in a self-fulfilling prophecy it's like, yeah, we're going to be in, in we're going to yeah. be more, we're going to be more inclusive. And that's the thing, you know, like with our church and probably with yours too, there's people are all over the map. You have a lot of diversity on thoughts and beliefs yeah. about human sexuality mm-hmm. or politics. I mean, it's not like, I, I imagine not everyone in your church thinks the same way about human sexuality or politics, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, uh, people in our church, certainly we have diversity of thought, typically that was here us and probably every church the past 18 months um when it comes to yeah views on uh, human sexuality one of the things that surprises people is we actually don't talk about it that much it's not something that i stand up and, and preach on all the time i have preached on it at times it's just a kind of a value of our church and i'm always amazed by how much uh, our church, how often our church has actually changed people's perspectives, not by talking about it constantly from the pulpit, but by them coming, them being a part of a church, them beginning to meet people, in a small group with people, getting to know folk, um, and then finally coming to an understanding that, oh, uh, I don't know why we fight about this so much. This actually isn't a big deal. You know, when, once mm-hmm. I'm here and I see clear evidence that the Holy Spirit's at work in the lives of a diverse group of people. We're all trying to follow Jesus. It, it's just not a big deal. It's a big deal for a lot of folks, even folks who, if you pull them aside and ask them to tell you what they think about it, they either might not be quite so sure, or they might've said, well, I don't really know what I think about that, or I'm kind of against it. But then again, I, I, it's not a, it, it's not an essential for me. And so, yeah, I think we have, we have a lot of different kinds of folks, but we do have a lot of people who I think are are coming to a new understanding because of the church. And of course, I think that's a, a beautiful thing mm-hmm. because I know that most of us don't arrive at what we think about various issues or how we embrace uh, certain questions overnight that you all. And so when I think when the church <laughs> to switch in people and expect that to change overnight it's hard but when you kind of invite them into a community that already has this value embedded in it it gives people time to come around that's great how has your church changed over the last 15 years what are some of the changes that you guys have gone through and have had to negotiate to kind of stay vital that's a good question i you know for us i think that probably the I don't mean this to be facetious. The, the biggest change is just our size. You know, we, we mm-hmm. went from a, a community that met in my living room, literally, to a community that's in multiple locations and online and just uh, much bigger. So I, I think that has, you know, that's changed a lot about our church, kind of how people <laughs> connect, 
how the, my role as pastor and how we've had to work hard to create spaces that still feel accessible for new people and don't feel impersonal while also uh, accommodating more and more folks. Uh, so, so I think, I think those things have, have changed dramatically. I would also say that uh, for me, per, probably personally, uh, when I started the church, I was so eager for people to just show up that I didn't think that much about who was showing up. I just said, I want some people. I'm starting <laughs> a church. It's a warm body. And, come on. And <laughs> Yeah, just come on. And we grew fast in our city. And part of what that meant is we grew large and very white, predominantly white, in a city that already struggles with racial divides in so many ways. And so one of the things that's changed, I think, in the past five, six, seven years is much more intentionality about um, certainly still inviting everyone, but recognizing that if we're not more intentional, we're going to begin kind of mimicking some of the divides we see in the world instead of looking more like the kingdom. And so Mm. having to be more intentional about that has certainly been, a, I would say, a, a big difference between, say, first seven years and the last seven years. Mm. Um, yeah, lots of other things. I think that uh, I've actually been surprised. I would have expected 15 years ago. 15 years ago, our views on including LGBTQ people, which you asked about, were seen as really radical. I mean, very, you know, very outside the norm. I would have thought that would have changed more dramatically in the church in 15 years. And for those of you who are United Methodists or been around the United Methodist Church, one of the one of the things that makes us bang our heads against the wall sometimes is how little that has actually changed. Yeah. How kind of the, the the fights are the same, the dividing lines are the same, the uh, that it hasn't actually changed all that much. And so uh, it's remarkable to me that that we haven't sort of figured out a way forward in that. Mm. Talk to me about uh, pandemic. Uh, how how have you all moved through that? What have, what have you found to be the biggest challenges? And then maybe what what are the discoveries you've found? I, I think you're still online. Are you not in person yet in at the gathering? We started in person uh, after Easter, the Sunday after Easter. So oh. not too long, but have a couple months under our belt now. Yeah, we have a few months under our belt. So we're not near as far into it as, as you guys are in some other churches. We had really heavy restrictions in the city and made it pretty impossible to worship in person prior to, to this spring. So, yeah. John, it's such a good question. I'll be straightforward with you. I don't know yet. Like, I, I remember last summer, it was like, I don't know, this time last year. And I already saw, I think it was a blog post and even a book uh, that was coming out, you know, 10 lessons for the post-pandemic church. And I thought (laughs) to myself, how do you know? (laughs) How do you know what the 10 lessons are? I mean, like... Hey, I, I used that I'm book last night. I, I used that book last night for as Kinlan for my yeah, outdoor fire yeah, pit. Right. It helped me start a really good fire. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just uh, this this desire to so quickly sort of make make a determination about what this means and how it's going to change things right. and what the future is going to look like. And I don't know if some of that's just certain brand of us pastors like to think that we're ahead of the curve. And so we're really eager to jump out there and try to predict where things are going. 
Um, but I thought to myself, I just don't, we're not going to know for a while. And I, I would say a year later, I am still kind of in that spot. I have some hunches. I have more clarity, I think, than I did a year ago. But I still think that we're going to learn a lot over the next year. Uh, or maybe two years. And I know I'm not very patient. I suspect you're not. A lot of people pastoring churches like ours probably aren't that patient. But um, I've been, I've tried to adopt a kind of a spirit of humility about talking about, well, this is what I think it means. And this is the bet our church is making. And this is where I think it's going to go. Because I don't, I don't know that it's clear to me yet uh, quite how this is going to change things. I would say that we know some uh, we, we've observed and, and had some experiences like other churches. I mean, you know, some of the hunches I have, some of the things we're toying with is I think the pandemic has made in-person worship kind of more important for people and they're going to attend less frequently. And I think that's a weird juxtaposition, but I've been thinking about that a lot, that I think both those things are probably true. So what does that mean for, for us? Uh, I think any church that uh, that wasn't doing online is having to grapple with how is the pandemic, uh, you know, how, how has the pandemic forced us to think about digital ministry in a way that's lasting instead of just a, a coping measure mm-hmm. during the pandemic? And so, and and what what do we think that means? Uh, I think you know, for us, it's caused us to think about. Uh, how are we a church for people who live in a very diverse, you know, all over the place locally and non-local and what does it, what does it mean for us to be a church for them? I think it's caused us to think about our small group ministry. We have a really strong small group ministry and it saved us during the pandemic. I really believe it saved us during the pandemic. We saw a clear relationship between people who were in a core group that they liked and they connected with had a much easier time staying connected to the church during the pandemic and people that didn't, didn't. And it was just uh, really clear that small groups were, are more flexible and more agile mm-hmm. in, in the, during the pandemic, they were more flexible and more agile. They could meet in people's garages. They could meet on a screened in porch. They could, you know, meet when church uh, corporate worship couldn't. And so they had an agility and a flexibility that you know these big old sanctuaries that many of us spent a lot of time thinking about didn't have so i think those are just some of the things but i also i share all that with uh, uh with just admitting that i am still trying to to pay attention and to think and pray and talk and learn and i've adopted uh kind of i'm okay with patience during this time to figure out What's this going to mean for us going forward? And how is the gathering specifically going to be called to kind of respond to this? Uh, and, and I think, you know, I'll just end by saying, I think there's probably a lot of right answers to the pandemic, mm. you know, a lot of right answers to what it might mean for churches and that, uh, and that we're going to get to see people experimenting, I hope, with a lot of different things and we'll get to learn from that. I, I, I'll, also, I'll also say... I, I think all in all, it's 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 good for the the church universal. It's good for Methodism because we weren't really killing it before the pandemic. I mean, we weren't doing that great anyway. <laughs> Methodism is a denomination, so um, being forced to just have to. 
throw everything up in the air and have it come down and put it back together is probably a good thing for us. Hmm. I'm really glad to hear you say that you don't know the answers because I don't know the answers. I, I like the, uh, you know, in systems yeah. theory, they talk about urgent patience. Hmm. And it's like you always have to have the sense of urgency <laughs> to move forward, but you have to have this patience right. to let things unfold. And everybody wants to like have all the answers. Like everybody comes to me and goes, all right, what's the vision for the fall? What's the service schedule for the fall? What's going to be the content for the fall? Yeah. What are we going to do? 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 And I'm like, it hit me. We need to go through a, mm-hmm. a spiritual debriefing process, not to get the mm-hmm. answers yeah. of what we learned, but to begin the process to just say, what did we just go through? Yeah. What and how, how were we present yeah. or not present? How was God present or not present? What, what was good? What, what are things that happened that I would like to keep in my life? I mean, you think about the, mm-hmm. the way it changes your schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, just, just simple practices of just debriefing emotionally through the trauma and teaching our kids to do it instead of just jumping right back in to normal as quickly as possible. I don't think that's healthy. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I've spent a lot of time the past month and a half, and I'll be doing it for another month, just talking to a lot of different groups in our church, staff, our board, our kind of high-level volunteers, which is three pretty basic questions that get at what you're talking about. You know, what 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 was the past year like for you? What did you notice? What did it make you think about? You know, uh, how do you think it, it's going to change uh, church? You know, I've asked people, uh, people that. Um, and, you know, where did you see the gathering thrive? in the midst of it? And where do you think we have a role to play in the future? I mean, some pretty and let people talk about it. You're right. The people have been eager to have some space where they could just debrief. And I'm really skeptical of the, I've been really resistant to like, okay, what are we going to do this fall? What's the vision? What? Cause you know, John, let, let's be real. You and I could come up with that stuff. Like that's what we've done the majority of our career. Like, okay, it's vision time. Let's cast a vision for the next two years. And it'd be easy for us to kind of replicate some of what we, you know, have done before or think is going to work, but not really be open to what God might be doing with this particular season. And I think it's just a really unique moment that we get in ministry, maybe one that we won't ever have back. And so we should use it uh, sort of wisely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's what really echoes in my heart is how to help people grow deeper mm-hmm. and uh, this, this realistic, you know, this spirituality. I mean, there, there are things that people are coming out of this and they're so ready to be done with this. And you want to say, first off, God was present in this. Did you notice? And if you didn't notice, maybe let's pause mm-hmm. and look back now that hindsight, we have hindsight, mm-hmm. and look back and see where God was present that I didn't notice in the moment. And then what do we learn about ourselves? I mean, I think about so many people who've just, yeah. it's avoidance. Some people, you know, there's so many different ways yeah. we dealt with this, with this trauma. And some people, they, they hold themselves up in their houses afraid. Yeah. And some of those folks are still afraid to come out. And then other people attacked it with a vengeance. Instead of fear, they fought it. And it was like, <clears throat> this, is a, this is a hoax. Masks don't work you know, down with the government, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, all this kind of, but it was all rooted in the same Fear. stuff, I yeah, think, which yeah. was a grief of loss of control yeah, of yeah. whatever it was. And people That's just right. acted it out in different ways. And I think to help our people understand where that comes from mm-hmm. spiritually, you know, I think about whether it was 
you know, Jacob asleep on the rock and he has the dream and he wakes up and he says, God was here and I didn't even know, yeah. I didn't even know God was here, yeah. right? In this place, mm-hmm. Bethel. And I'm thinking, how do we teach our people that God is in any, all of these places in our home, in quarantine, <laughs> on Zoom at our job, uh, with our family removed? I mean, it, we look at it as sort of everything was paused. <clears throat> And God put everything on pause. And now, okay, now we're getting back. And it's like, no, there was, yeah. there was something rich there. And I just wonder how we help people cultivate that. Yeah, I think as you're talking, it's also important, I think, to remember that things literally didn't pause during the pandemic. There was a lot of other stuff going on that the pandemic, in some cases, accelerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that a lot of what we're grappling with you know, you, you use the language of trauma, so I'll kind of pick up with that. You know, we're sort of experiencing multiple traumas, I think, and it's hard to disentangle them from one another and to realize kind of what was already there. The pandemic maybe accelerated it or made us see it. But, mm-hmm. you know, all, everything that happened politically in this country, the sort of uh, vitriol politically in the, in the way that uh, divisions politically were exacerbated during the pandemic was a whole nother basket of stuff that people dealt with uh, that felt yeah. different at least different enough that i've never experienced anything quite like that before i think the internet just in general social media in particular and the the different way that that's forming us both in positive and negative ways was accelerated by the pandemic and a lot of people are coming to the I don't come into a realization of what the internet offers and what it doesn't offer and what social media does for them and maybe what it, it, how it hurts them. And there's a, I think there's an emotional kind of social dislocation that, that having to be online uh, only for a year caused in a lot of people. And that was already present there before. So things like loneliness. So I, I think that the pandemic wasn't the only thing we were dealing with this past year, not the only big thing. Um, and so it takes some time to remember that, that, oh yeah, a lot of other stuff happened as well. And it, it was, it seems like a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about the racial, oh yeah, just, yeah. The, the racial uh, explosion yeah. of recalibration, right. whatever you want to call it. Racial reckoning. Yeah. Racial mm-hmm. reckoning. It, 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 and, it, and we, and we had to deal with it. I think what the, the way it was unhealthy is that we had to deal with it in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was hard for us to get yeah. together. You had to deal with it online. Yeah. You had to <laughs> deal with it online, it yeah, just, online you know, which is the most so toxic unhealthy. place to deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Even the churches we were meeting right. with and talking about these kinds of things were all done online. You couldn't actually kind of eyeball somebody across the table and have these kind of discussions that are necessary for that kind of reckoning that you, you mentioned, yeah. you know? So it's, it was hard. Yeah. And, and even the even the church, you know, whether you talk about the political stuff, we all know that it's so different to actually sit in a room with people who are, mm. you know, nuanced and mysterious yes. and have a lot of different viewpoints. Yeah. And, and all that got, gets kind of flattened out in a pandemic online only world. So politics becomes much easier to categorize people. I even think church politics, you know, becomes even easier to a sort of stereotype and flatten out what would otherwise be pretty nuanced churches or perspectives or people. So, yeah. So I'm just liberal or, you know, you're just conservative or you're, you know, just pro this and anti that. And uh, we sort of stop seeing people as complex humans and mm. 
That's really true. That's really true. So what are you passionate about right now these days? What's saving your soul in this moment? Well, I'll answer it in a few different ways. Professionally, I'm passionate right now just to kind of reconnecting and con- connecting with new people and reconnecting with people and kind of relearning that I am a person who loves to, first and foremost, before I was ever a pastor or pastoring a large church, I love to connect one-on-one with people and hear what they're mm-hmm. up to, learn their story, talk to them. So I love that professionally. I'm getting to just do that now that we have more people coming back and new people emerging that, you know, weren't here a year and a half ago. And so I, I love that part. Mm-hmm. So I'm having a lot of fun doing that. Um, I've realized how much I love to preach in front of people. I'm kind of <laughs> remembering like, oh yeah, I'm up on stage again in front of folks. And I realize how much, at least for me, preaching is a performance. And I don't mean that in a negative way or that it's fake or something, but that it requires interaction with people. So I'm, I'm having fun with that. Um, you know, personally, I've been, I have a, a son who's home from college. My kids are home. I've actually had a lot of fun with my kids this past year. I mean, there are certainly are trying times. My son came home last night at 1.30 in the morning and tried to make a pizza and set all the fire alarms in our house off, uh, you know, nice. waking my wife and I up at 1.30 in the morning. So, yeah, there's stuff like that. Uh, so I had some choice words at 1.30 when I came <laughs> running downstairs to see what was going on. But overall, I'm having, I'm having a lot of fun with my kids uh, and we, we have a good time. And I've become a runner during the pandemic, more uh, more serious runner or something going just kind of being outside and uh yeah so those are some things that are giving me life right now that's awesome what are um what are some of the things you want to hold on to and what are some of the things you want to let go of well uh, i mean this isn't going to sound that unique i'm sure you all are like this i mean i want to hold i want to hold on to some of the space that's been created this past year uh I've thought through, you know, relationships and obligations that I was doing out of a sense of duty, or I think I need to, instead of out of a sense that it gives me life, or this is a relationship that is worth feeding Mm -hmm. in my life. So I've become more selective about what I say yes to and become more free in saying no to certain things. And some of that's people as well. And I don't mean this to sound judgmental, you know, as a person. Just fill our calendar and try to hold on to so many relationships, some of which are giving us life, some aren't, some are healthy for us, some aren't. It's kind of thinking through what are the relationships that are really important to me. So I don't want to go back to filling up, overfilling my schedule or mm. uh, doing too much or traveling too much or saying yes to too many things. So I think I want to kind of hold on to some of that space that the pandemic's created for me. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the probably the biggest thing for me. Uh, you know, I look back and, and you know, it kind of answers the second part of that question too. You know, some of that stuff that I want to let go of. Uh, I I also, in in an interesting way, kind of fell in love, back in love with the particular place I live, my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic also had, even though we were now wor- worshiping online and had people joining us from all over the place. I was also spending a lot more of my time in a really like right in my neighborhood and with some of my neighbors and in our place. And I, I realized what a joy that's been to mm. kind of uh, 
to kind of grow roots in a different way right where I am. So I don't want to let go of that either. That's great. That is good. Well, Matt, I appreciate you, man, and and your story yeah. and um, your family and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like you're doing really well coming out of that. I was kind of hoping you'd give me all the answers for how we're supposed <laughs> to do fall. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I've just well, kind of really landed in this place to uh, where, okay, fine, we'll, we're, we're going to launch and try to get everybody to come back, you know, restart with school. But I think it's an opportunity to really engage in some spiritual reflection mm-hmm. rather than... Like you said, ca- yeah. like cast some vision to say, here's where we're going. This is where it's going to be. I think it's like you got to have some time to reflect yeah. on what's happened. And yeah. if you don't, you don't learn anything. I don't think yeah. you grow. Wisdom comes out of that, right? Yeah. That's where wisdom. Think, yeah. yeah and, I, and what's cool for me, John, I don't know if you feel this way. I feel a pe- I feel at peace with that. Like I am okay yeah, with that. Agree. Like, I'm, I'm good with the fact that it's going to take a little bit of time. I don't feel a sense of anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, I got to come up with a vision or I need to know what big bets we have to make or, you know, how are we going to get back attendance to what it used to be? Or, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I did that for a long, you know, 15 years. We've been on the fastest growing list for, I don't know, however many years you and I met at the hundred largest Methodist church events. And so, I mean, I kind of get that growth is cool. It's fun being big has some certain, I mean, there, there's something neat about that, but I don't feel a great deal of anxiety that like, Oh my gosh, we have to get back to that number mm-hmm. or have to grow the bottom line attendance number or something so that we stay in that category. I mean, I, I believe we're growing. I think we're going to continue to stay vibrant, but I just, I feel more at peace with the fact that we're just entering a kind of a new, uh, uh, a new season of church. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm along for the ride. I, I'm I'm kind of excited about what it might bring because uh, we did that old way for a, a while, and some mm-hmm. of some of you longer than me. So, yeah, one of the things that was liberating for me is at first when the the pandemic first started and we're going online, you know, it was a big deal. It's like how many people are streaming online? Can we quantify how many people? Yeah. How many people? Because <laughs> you know, our whole our whole careers, yeah. it's like you're counting the butts in the seat and how yeah. many people and how's that measure? And right. so, you know, uh, I got my friend over here, Tom Pace is like, well, we have 8 million people streaming. Oh, well, we got 9.5 million people streaming. Yeah. I know. Mean, you know, and then after yeah. a while, it got to this thing where even when we opened the doors back and we came back, it's like, okay, we have this many people in the seat and this many streaming. That thing is gone now. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, the, you gone. know, they put it, the number on the, on the little it, um, Slack channel every week and it, it doesn't even move my needle at all. It's like, mm. it's not that I don't care, but yeah. it's like it doesn't have the meaning that no, it I used know. to have. Yeah. And I think that we were probably fooling ourselves a little bit before. I'm putting myself in that category, but it's certainly, I mean, you know, we had all these weird things like the pandemic was the the first time you widely heard the phrase, what's your multiplier, you know, instead of what's your worship, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. what's your multiplier, meaning, you know, 1.85 for those my people who are listening. Yeah. For those people listening who don't know what I mean, it's, you know, you have a thousand streams but you know that behind the thousand streams could be two people watching, three people, one person. So people were saying, what's your multiplier? I'm multiplying everything by two and a half. So we had, you count a thousand streams as, you know, to 2,500 people worshiping. And I mean, all this silly stuff to try to, I don't know what we were trying to do with that, trying to translate it back to 
yeah. to what things were like or how we used to be certain we were making a difference before. And, um, yeah, I'm feeling that. I think it no longer, there was a time when it moved my soul a lot more, but yeah, that number coming across each week or month is not as, uh, that's not quite it anymore. We I know just, there's more. I just want to fill it's out. Important. It's a piece of information. Yeah, I, I just want to <laughs> fill out the denominational paperwork and go, how many people are you average in worship? 52. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I they're going to make the fastest declining yeah, churches in America. That. I'm going to make the different list. <laughs> Not the fastest growing, it's the fastest yeah. declining. Yeah. 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 Well, dude, it's been a pleasure to spend yeah. just a few we minutes with that. you and talk and really to hear about your church. I think I, I think the the one thing that that really it really fired me up is like, this is one of the things we're doing at Chapelwood, and we've, mm. we've made this shift and change, is that we have a passion for the scripture, a passion for evangelism, a passion for reaching out in entrepreneurial ways in the city. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we want to be a church that doesn't turn anyone away, um, and that when the doors are open, whoever walks through those doors, those are the people that Jesus would invite in to be in our community and not just to be present, but to be a part yeah, of our community, yeah, to be family right. in our community. And that's a, that's a yeah. shift mm-hmm. for a church that may, you know, to make that shift when you've thought a different way, it can be hard. Some people, I learned this a long time ago, some people can't go along with you on that journey and you have to create ways to allow them to disembark yeah. with dignity, mm-hmm. not to feel like winners and losers, mm-hmm. but to say, this is not, you know, I need to find a new church. That's and good. how do you do that in such a way that, that says, hey, let's part with a blessing, a mutual blessing, not with enmity or strife yeah. or, or anger on that. But I, I w- I'm with you. I think you can be a scriptural church, focus on evangelism, and you can be an, you can be an inclusive church, a church that throws the doors mm-hmm. wide open and, and yeah. invites everybody uh, to come in to be a part mm-hmm. of the kingdom. Amen. Yeah. And I, I mean, that, that's where we are. And I just encourage people listening. I think so many people have, have, have lumped all this together and have begun, have been taught or been told, you know, you can't believe this and you can't be scriptural and, you know, welcome LGBTQ people. You can't, you know, take the Bible seriously and do some of this stuff. And, and a lot of those things that we've been taught, I just think simply aren't true. If you go back to scripture and you start rebuilding and rethinking some of this stuff, you, you find that there's uh, uh, not only a different way to do it, but a way that I think for the majority of people, John, just makes a lot more sense. Yeah. You know, it just makes a lot more sense to say, well, I, yeah, I believe in scripture and I believe deeply in Jesus. And of course, if you want to follow Jesus and do it in community here, come on in. Uh, that just, I think at a gut level makes sense to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, uh, a compelling vision for the future. We don't need to spend any more time, money, or emotional energy trying to figure out who to keep out of the church. I mean, we just don't. You know, it's not who we are. Well, brother, we love you, and you keep doing the good Lord's work yeah. in St. Louis. When you get down to Houston, come see us. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right, Thank- it's great to great to catch up with you guys. Great to be with you. Yeah, Thank you. you. Thanks for your time. So it's been a great conversation. It's good seeing you, my friend. It's good to see you too. It really I is. I know, summer. Summers, we're sparse. I know, it is sparse. But I'm looking forward to the fall. Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Mercy.